My name is Ben Phillips and you are listening to Gen Z and Friends where I interview young entrepreneurs, investors, founders and creators learning the stories behind their businesses and what makes them tick. If you enjoy today's episode, please share it with a family member or friend and drop us a quick rating. It goes a long way as we continue to grow the podcast, but enjoy today's episode and I'll speak to you soon. is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment, legal and tax advice. All opinions expressed by myself and the guests are solely our own opinions and do not reflect that of Mahoney Asset Management and Newbridge Securities. Ladies and gentlemen, today I'm joined by the founder and president of Bonafide Wealth Management, Twitter celebrity, girl dad, coffee enthusiast and creator of the Crypto Drip NFT project, Douglas Bonaparte. Um, welcome, Doug, first of great all. To be, great to be here. Hi. Hi, hi. Good, good, thank good. So, that, thank you for that great intro. It's very nice of you. Ah, that's nothing, mate, nothing. So uh, a lot to unpack today. You know, I want to start by you know, hearing it from the horse's mouth, as they say. Um, so tell us maybe where you're from. How did you spend your Gen Z years? And how yeah. did you end up uh, being a financial advisor? Oh, I'd be more than happy to. So um, Doug Bonaparte, I'm the president of Bonafide Wealth. Um, I run a wealth management firm that specializes in uh, your, your high achieving, high earning millennials. I am at the older range of the millennial spectrum now, right? So I'm 37. But when you were out there um, in wealth management, if you were out in wealth management saying, hey, I want to work with millennials when you know I was in my 20s, you got laughed at for suggesting such a crazy idea, but I, I thought that that was truly the opportunity of a lifetime as, as a professional in financial services. And I just built my business around that idea of being a relatable, um, a relatable advisor to, to folks who really didn't have access to someone that they could relate to. And uh, is really, and also coming off of 2008 and 2009. So this really big economic event that, you know, created a, a big impact in, in my cohort, in my peers. And I just, you know, sitting in business school, thinking about how I was going to grow a wealth management practice of my own design, um, the light bulb went off. It was everyone around me in the classroom. And I said, okay, this is who we need to grow with. How are we going to give ourselves enough time, right, to actually allow for that growth to take place? Because we weren't talking a year or two, we were talking maybe over the course of a decade. And uh, that's when my, my brain just didn't stop turning. The wheels just didn't stop turning on how to do that. And uh, I started putting those pieces together. And it was, it was through a, you know, a, using my public relations degree and, and a mainstream media um, poll. Like nobody was doing millennials and personal finance yet. It was the most talked about thing going on. And usually with a very negative connotation, even today, a negative connotation, when we, when we think about that generation, you can only imagine like what people think of Gen Z and even younger, like get ready for the old people to really, you know, throw shade here. Um, and, and I felt all of those things, obviously respective uh, to millennials. And, and I just didn't really, didn't really turn back. I knew that that is what we were going to do and we did it. So I get, I get this kind of you know, joy out of, of being one of the first in the wealth management space to really say, hey, you can, you can work with this demographic. And now we look, now I'm 37, you know, my clients at the older, uh, older range of the millennial spectrum where, you know, it's, it's paying off. Certainly, um, it was a good bet. And, you know, the last 13 years from the recession have proven to be in good times for us to build our lives and our careers. Thanks, Fed Reserve. Appreciate you keeping rates low and, and the economy flush with cash for us here. But it did it did create opportunities despite being set back, you know, pre pretty hard in those in those first few years if you're coming into your adult life or the job environment in 08 and 09. 
for sure, for sure. So yeah, you said it a few times there, you know, being early is important, especially in our industry. Uh, it can really set you out from, from the crowd. You've coined yourself as, you know, the millennials financial advisor. Uh, don't worry, guys, he did show me his, his OAP card <laughs> before we got started. Uh, but no, a lot of the listeners here are Gen Z. Um, I think many right. of whom will be approaching, you know, the same experiences um, you 100%. Know, in five or 10 years, you know, as those people you help, you know, day in, day out. So can you explain to me, you know, like who the average client is and then maybe a couple of the problems that they're like facing now, you know, maybe in money and maybe outside of uh, money management as well? Yeah, yeah, it's a good point you make. I, I really don't expect, you know, things to be all that different for Gen Z coming up, you know, in, in these years, like your, your late 20, mid to late 20s into your 30s and, and 40s, this very, very pivotal, um, not, not just pivotal, but, you know, dynamic time in our lives. So much, I mean, I think it's the craziest time, bar none right? As far as, you know, where, where you can be in your timeline of your life due to all the changes that, that are happening, right? Settling down, getting your career set, proving yourself to the world, marriage, kids, home, all of that, all of that's crazy. The next like most crazy thing is probably retirement is like saying goodbye to a lot of that, moving into hopefully enjoying your time and getting your time back. That's crazy too. But this is definitely the most dynamic piece of it all. And Gen Z is going to experience that as well. I, I just, you know, I, I think millennials and Gen Z are probably very much alike in this regard. Um, I think Gen Z probably has had the chance to learn from millennial mistakes, most notably to your, to your question, you know, what were the challenges that we faced? And I think the challenges are, you know, from an economic and, and infrastructure and structural part of at least thinking here in America, things will be very similar for, for millennials and Gen Z. I, I, I haven't looked at the amount of student loan debt on, you know, per, each Gen Z per person relative to millennials. I would like to think that they've learned uh, some lessons from us in carrying massive debt loads or, you know, I think the average was so that I know the average is about $36,000 per graduate in student loan debt. I wonder what that would look like millennial versus Gen Z to see if they've said, hey, you know, I'm not going to take on as much debt to go educate myself, right? I think that would be interesting. But Nonetheless, the, the challenges, the challenges are, you know, getting yourself set up as early as possible to make constructive decisions around your financial life. And, and what's so great about both millennials, Gen Z, um, and even Gen X is the fact that technology is more native to us than it is to older generations. And the things that we get to see and do are far greater than, you know, our parents and grandparents, specifically when it comes to our personal finances, right? We have applications to invest. We have online banking. We have supercomputers in our hands. We have the ability and access to so much more. So I hope that's pushing the education and financial literacy component in the right way. But those things also come with distractions like FOMO and FUD, like, should I be buying crypto? Should I be buying GameStop and AMC? Everyone's, yeah, everyone's getting rich, but me uh, type of behavior and thinking. So, you know, there's, there's two sides to this. And, you know, I was, I was talking to a friend just the other day, you know, do, do you think we're going to get, and I, I told them out of the whole like 2020 meme stock, you know, narrative, my, my whole thing was like, I hope that at least the interest that came into investing, you know, meant a general uptick in people's quest to educate themselves financially. And, you know, we'll see, we'll see. Or was it just like, hey, the casino is open right over here. Come on in. Like, if that's the only thing we take away from it, I, I don't think that's a good thing. But there are plenty of valuable lessons that I think people are gaining uh, in, in, you know, having been through that. But look, the, the thing that, you know, is the challenge is helping people make great decisions around big moments in their life that all seem to um, happen on top of one, one, yeah, on top of each other here in that 20s, 30s zone. Um, and having someone that you can relate to or has experience and is relatable is, is a winning business model. I agree. I agree. So, uh, yeah, to, to kind of rewind a bit, the MBA I'm doing right now, most of it's on Zoom. So when we talk about, you know, people going to college, it's not really the same experience right now. So we'll mm -hmm. see if that transitions, you know, into the debt 
figure that you talked about. Um, and then the, the new people stepping into the market. So 25 million new retail investors, you know, in the last two years coming in uh, to the markets, many of whom on Robinhood and who are Gen Z. So I do think and I hope to think that there'll be some ling lingering, you know, people hanging around, even though sports are back open, uh, you know, the bars are back open yeah. uh, and they can get out and about. So um, let, let's go there a little bit now. I know um, most of the people I speak to, it's kind of cryptocurrency, uh, stocks. None of them even really know what a bond is, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, you know, so they're 10 all the way through to 25 years old, this Gen Z um, cohort. Yeah. So it's kind of a broad, you know, age. Yeah, we got to go hit it. We got to go hit up the right. 12 year olds. Right, right, right. Yeah. right. Well, I don't, I don't even know what the minimum is, you know, to actually open an account on uh, Robinhood. Who knows? Americans have different uh, age limits. I think, to, I think Robinhood UK. lets four, I think they let four year olds open yeah. accounts. If I'm, yeah, not, I I'm just kidding. I think you naked call, too. Right, naked calls at six <laughs> on uh, Tesla. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, so, so yeah, so, I know it's yeah, it's broad age age gap, but what do you think? You know, those Gen Z people should be doing with their money right now. You know, is it stacking it? Is it saving it to pay off the loans? Is it paying off high interest debt, or is it you know having a bit of fun, getting your feet wet in the markets? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a really good question. You know, I I can tell you this for my for the youngest clients or prospects that come in the door, the youngest millennials, you know, in their their mid twenties, like a twenty five and a twenty six year old. I actually find it somewhat challenging to say you know, how can I be a value to you, right? When your responsibilities are, you know, don't die, don't get fired and pay your bills. Um, you know, it's a different ball game than your 36 year old counterpart with two kids, a mortgage, and, you know, a lot more responsibilities, perhaps at their job. That's not to say you can't be 20 in your mid twenties and have a shit ton of responsibilities. You sure can, but you know, in, in practical, practically speaking, a lot of these things are driven by like where you are in your personal life right? Not necessarily your financial life. Personal life dictates a lot of financial life. So like when, when your responsibilities, when you don't have as many keys on your keychain as say your older counterparts, you know, you're not going to do maybe insurance planning or, you know, there's, there's areas of financial planning that you just are going to struggle to develop, you know, enough value to justify, well, at least what I charge. It doesn't mean you can't do it you know, at, at a lower fee or in a different way. As a matter of fact, that's that's what I had to do was find a way that worked with folks who didn't necessarily have the ability to do it how the rest of the industry was working. People might look at how I brought on millennials and be like, yo, that just would not work for Gen Z. And here's what I would tweak, you know, and, and I think I think it would, but you could say, look, I definitely would hear like here, you got to change this up stylistically. You got to change this up from a fee structure. And they don't like you know, they want pure subscription models or pure flat fee. They'll never talk to you about AUM or they're open to everything. Just find the value that's right for them. That, that's kind of how I approach it currently. Um, but I, I sometimes struggle with, all right, let's get real for a second. Like you're really young, you, you know, you're living at home, you're, you're in school, bills are paid for or costs are super low. It looks nothing like what it's going to be when you graduate or you're out on your own and you have to pay your own rent and your own groceries and all your bills and it's all on you, right? These are two very different worlds. And, you know, when you're, when you're that young, it's hard for me to say like, don't go take risk, you know, even with investments, like, you're, you're, if you're good otherwise, fine. If you don't have an immediate goal in the next four years or less, so here's classic, you know, approaches that I use in, in actual practice. If you don't have a goal four years or less, you know, you, you can put risk on your money. If it's something that's four years or out, or you have no idea and you just want to go long and you're not going to touch that money, it gets very easy to say, okay, I'm going to go invest right? But when you're that young, there's that much more uncertainty about what you don't even know yourself. Let's be real. You know, I remember 24, 25 is probably the most miserable time of my life outside of middle school where everyone's, you know, figuring themselves out, you know, um, but 24, 25, it's a tough spot to be in. I mean, there, then there's the planner side of me. It's like, just stack cash. Cause you have no idea it can, you know, it's going to help you, you know, secure the deposit so you can move to that town you want to move to. Um, it's going to help you buy a big dip in the market that you weren't, that you weren't really thinking about participating in, but now it's too good not 
to go scoop that up, right? Imagine not knowing what the hell you're doing with your life and not having a lot of risk and it's March, 2020 and the market just sold 33 and a half percent and you're sitting on some cash. Guess what? You know, might be time to put some money to work there. So I think because there's more uncertainty when you're that young, you really need to focus on and try your best to figure out where you're going to be. And if you don't know, you know, lean more conservative. If you have a pretty good idea that will ultimately dictate to either stay conservative, have that cash for what you need it for, or you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm confident in myself. I'm going to invest this money, get an early start on compounding. Just remember this. You can't compound anything unless you stay invested, right? So keep that in mind before you go like, I'm young. I got time on my side. Boom. Three years later, you meet the love of your life. Now you got to pay for a wedding. The 30 grand or 20 grand or 10 grand you put into the market's worth eight because you thought it was going to be long-term, but now you need it for your wedding and you just lost 20%. Which right. one, you know, would, would you have been happier with the 10? Because you need it, you know, are you going to have some regret? So that's how I like to think about things when making those decisions and how to contextualize it for a younger demo who's like, I might not know exactly what's going on right now, but I have a good idea. You know, that's tough. That's tough terrain to figure out how to allocate it. It's tough. It's tough. You've got to kind of work out your time frame, you know, and what might be popping up. Like you said, you might put a couple of grand in a cryptocurrency, then, you know, the boys give you a call. We're going on, you know, vacation to Vegas. You know, oh, God, I'm, I'm taking it in and out, you know. Yeah, yeah you, you, know. Gotta, you cut a crypto drawdown. You, right. you cut a stock right. stock drawdown and, and now you, you want to go do something else. Right. Um, yeah, you didn't necessarily need to experience that pain. Right, right. So yeah, you, obviously you help millennials invest and Gen Z, I help Gen Z invest. I think a lot of, you know, young people do get caught up, you know, in that trading, those bright lights, you know, of an overnight fortune. Uh, it is possible, but um, yeah, when they come in, it's like being a professional in any other industry, you know, it takes years and years to craft if you're going to sit at home, uh, you know, in front of your laptop or your computer. And my advice is, you know, is good investing is usually boring. So take a look, you know, yeah. at the index and a few stocks and, you know, go away, work on yourself. Like you said, you know, yeah. sit that exam, do the internship, you know, you're going to need the income in the first place to invest, you know, <laughs> building, you know, $1,000 account into, into, you know, 10, 20 grand is just not going to happen basically um unless you're very very lucky um or you yeah you fall across some kind of you know some, some money or some people so um i like i like to say that you know you stick it in an index you know and, and go and work on yourself so um we'll take the take the talk away a little bit from you know the markets and finance and dig into you know yourself and i know your wife your wife heather uh, you know she's an attorney you've got two beautiful daughters um mm -hmm. and you're, you're a girl dad as am i uh, so i'm yes. sure that they're the apple of your eye um, so with Absolutely. the pandemic you know now nearly two two years old how has that you know changed things for you at home you know how's that work life balance look now yeah yeah it's it's completely different than it was you know two and a half years ago um probably yeah you know, i always had a charmed commuter life would take care of the girls in the morning get them to school drop them off um and then i'd uh, head into the city on the days that i would go in so i was not going in five days a week i'd go in two maybe three days a week i'd go in after rush hour carpool with my wife home who, who'd be in there um four days a week or so and that was the schedule you know and there's a commuter life in there and, and going to my office and world trade center and you know getting to grab coffee with friends and clients and, and have meals and do do a lot of the stuff i love to do in new york city that that is all but vanished you know still have the office downtown desperately want to get a day or two back into the city as I look forward past Omicron. You know, I think we're just at that point. It's, you know, there, there's a part of me that, you know, when I think back on all of it, I know where my silver linings are being with my, my girls and, you know, my younger one. I mean, I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, she couldn't walk. Now she's a kid, you know, now she's almost a three-year-old, you know, straight up tyke um, with her own thoughts and opinions, you know, and I, and I, and I have a sassy kindergartner on top of that, who's as cute as can be and, and a sweet girl. So, you know, all this time around them has been the silver lining, but to say, you know, to say it hasn't been stressful and exhausting would be, would be a straight up lie. It's, it's very exhausting this far into the, you know, and, and, and in winter, I'm a Florida guy. So warm, you know, over, over cold too. Um, but you know, again, it's, it's, it's bittersweet. It's, it's tiresome. It's frustrating. Um, it also has a lot of 
it also has a lot of components I really do enjoy. I'm a home, you know, here's the thing though, like I'm a homebody and I'm sitting here at my dining room table, which is my office now for, for a little while. Um, and, and Heather's down in the, ba- <laughs> in the basement, in the basement office. Um, you know, we're definitely learning a lot about um, maximizing our space and resources, but I think net at the end of the day, being, you know, being here at home, it works for me. Uh, but I definitely want to get back into the city. So yeah, very, very, very different. I mean, geez. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, no, no, it is. It's, it's very difficult to, to manage and balance. Um, like you said, your daughter wasn't walking at the start of the pandemic. Now she is. Mine was born during the pandemic. So, um, you know, my mom and dad are coming over this week. They're going to meet her for the first time. You know, she's 17 yeah. months old. So it's crazy. Amazing. How, yeah. uh, how these how these things you know work out and um for us here um i i, I like to go into the office you know once twice a week uh, but like even though know, you put a suit on it feels different you know before before the pandemic you know you're suited and booted you know you were like you said you're out meeting people and now it's like well maybe i'll just stay in you know i'll stay after hours you know i'll stay in tonight and uh ch- chill out for a little bit so um i think yeah and then going back to that i think you know one thing that's overlooked by these young entrepreneurs you know these young professionals um and creators is you know the importance of other significant other you know or a partner whether it be a family member you know that have you know, have around you you know to support you so i'm curious to hear your take on that how big of a factor you know as it has heather been you know in terms of you growing your practice and bouncing ideas off each other do you think kind of young entrepreneurs should pay more attention to this you know when they're like building their own business such a great question because the thing is heather has been building this business with me the entire time and even before the business existed she's been building me me as a person that's what good spouses and, and significant others do is they help build up the other person heather's been you know just one of the best at this i i don't think you know any of this would really be here if i didn't have her by my side um, to, to the point where, um, it makes me really know how lucky I am and, and, you know, can hope I uh, can only hope I return that favor, uh, and hope that I'm doing my end of the bargain here for her. It's been, it's been 13 years of building, you know, me up and this business up. Um, and for the next generation, it's super critical to rely on, you know, each other. When you think about who you want to spend, uh, the rest of your life with. Um, you guys are partners. Partnerships are supposed to be designed to help each other out. I mean, that's the whole point of this. So, um, yeah, yeah. When you think about what you want to accomplish in your life and what you want to build, whether it's on your own or together, you think about where you get support to do these things. Uh, you know, it's, it's very critical. I think the days of like, you're not sharing in business and finances and these things, it's all so old hat right? It's so old hat. I hate that construct. And now today it's, it's more, you know, freely communicated between people. So I, yeah, yeah, I it's going to happen. I agree. I think, yeah, even, you know, a significant other who is, you know, another young professional you know, can, like I say, can help you in that side of the business, you know, whether it be in marketing, you know, they can lay their hand there for you. I know it'll be law and, you know, attorney work. They yeah, can definitely they help they you out. You know? to, they don't even have to work in, in the business that you're working right. on. They just need to be, you know, there to support you and, and your goals. And, uh, you know, it just, it just would be, I think, tough to navigate right. a relationship where you weren't mutually supporting each other on, on what it is. But, you know, if you're, uh, yeah, having written a book with my wife, having built a business with my wife, um, now doing an NFT project with my wife. Um, we, we love to build things together and right. look, that's not, that's not for everyone, but to get support is, is more important than actual, like, Hey, come, come do this with me. For sure. And we'll talk about the NFT project in a little bit, but, you know, yeah. as a sole business owner, you know, I think a big part of financial advising is marketing, you know, if not one of the single, you know, most important things uh, you focus, I like probably say Twitter, you know, to grow that. Uh, they call, you know, the face and the hair of Fintwit, uh, you know, with the dad jokes and the memes. Um, so how do you how do you approach that marketing side, you know, as a, as a business owner and a creator? Um, do you have kind of a game plan or is it kind of off the cuff as the uh, public relations degree helps at all? Yeah, no, it's been instrumental. And, and I spent really the first, 
many years of bona fide wealth and a few years before that, ultimately it was the marketing that allowed me to have the confidence to start bona fide wealth and start my own firm. Because, you know, it's one thing to say, Hey, I'm going to be New York city's financial advisor for millennials. And like, give yourself this title that, you know, you gotta, you gotta back that up. Um, and one great way to do that is, is to have a presence in, in the media. And in this case, it was mainstream media. So I used that, that PR degree to, you know, put a plan together of how to get my name out there and my name as someone who was a knowledge expert in an area that really no one else was covering or doing, you know, that, that first mover advantage wasn't just good for business. It was great for marketing uh, because I got to talk about things no one else was really talking about. So I could now then back up this claim that I was so-and-so for so-and-so, right. You know, advisor for millennials in New York city. Well, yeah. When they see you on CNBC talking about, you know, financial advice for millennials or Fox business, or, you know, you name it, I've done it from CNN to, you know, market watch, wall street journal features in the New York times for crying out loud. You know, I'm not trying to, you know, pat myself on the back here. It's been so much of it because that was by design, you know, that opened my eyes to not just being able to get credibility and back up the things you were saying, but you're also playing an online marketing game, SEO, keywords, and you're fueling that machine that, you know, like, oh, okay, cool. There's a game over here I can play. Let me figure it out. Cool. The game I'm also playing over here fuels that game over there. Okay, they're connected. Let's write a book. What does that do for us, right? Let's create video content. Ah, I don't have all the time in the world I need to do it. It was fun. Maybe I'll come back to this and do a podcast instead. You know, okay, that was a lot of fun. Maybe, you know, do this project over here and you're going to probably fail at 80% of them, but you eventually find out what works. And in the context of like making jokes on Twitter um, and getting people to laugh, like I'm always making people laugh. Comedy and humor is, is probably one of my strongest skills and talents. And I'm like, okay, we're going to quadruple down on that. It works. Look at the engagement. It's, you know, and I, I like doing it like, oh, you don't need anything more than those factors to realize you want to go hard on that. So that helped me build an audience, but it was on the back of, you know, not joking on Twitter. It was on the back of being a thought leader. And I don't think I could have, you know, that's part of why the shtick works is because underneath the jokester is this decorated, dare I say, veteran of the industry who can show you every award, accolade, credential, quote, feature there is. Like, you know, say what you want, I'll back it up. And what's more important about that is prospects see it, people, the public, see all of these ways in which you've decided to market yourself, create your credibility, joke about your own credibility, you know, make people laugh, humor. That might be someone I want to work with when I'm considering working with someone. How, you know, how much more visible can you get? And visibility is everything. So I think for, you know, young advisors or business people, marketing is that critical. I think I spend, you know, there were, I, I was telling people, you know, in the last, maybe, because I was spending 50% of my days marketing for years, certainly from inception of the firm over the first three years. Now I've been spending the last two years reaping the benefits of that. So my time may be taking one foot off of marketing because your capacity is getting filled up with business development, which obviously is top line. You can't ask for anything better than that. So yeah, I mean, if if you're not good at marketing, like I love it. Right. It's, it's something I'm good at. If you're not, you got to find out a way to do it that works for you. It doesn't always have to be you. I don't think anyone's going to do it as well as you. But if you're not that type of person to get yourself out there and it's really difficult to do that, right? there's other ways to go about it. But that's how important it is. It's, yeah, I think being transparent is massive. And in our industry, self-deprecation, you know, and um, it, it's interesting one because uh, you're trying to be vulnerable in some extent, uh, as I've seen many of you know, your tweets, a lot of them can be taken the wrong way. Um, but like you said, having the credibility to back it up is massive. So for these young professionals listening, you know, like, like Doug said, getting those, um, accreditations, whether it be, you know, passing a certain exam or doing a certain internship, uh, you know, to support some of your thesis could be a good way to start to, to build that backbone to then, you know, maybe flip the script a little bit like what you're doing now, you know, <laughs> changing it, you know, to some 
Twitter and, and being more funny and, and meme work instead of so serious, you know, on CNBC or talking, you know, in Wall Street Journal, mixing them together uh, to build this pot um, of a marketing strategy is, uh, is the best way to go about it. So I think something that you are really good at, my friend, is carving out niches. You know, I think that's been, I don't think they can be really a niche any, like any too small. I don't think. Um, I think a lot of people kind of m miss out on that. You know, they try and hit the broader market, whatever it might be. Um, so, I, I mean, another sleeve for you of the personal brand is coffee, you know, and your love yeah. for coffee. We'll, we'll kind of go into the, the NFT and crypto drip talk a little bit. So what, what kind of setup, you know, do you have at home for coffee? What should people be looking at? I have to tell you, this yeah. is an embarrassing moment for me to like telling you this. Um, I've got a cure egg. And and I'm I'm actually drinking McDonald's pure egg today. <laughs> yeah, McDonald's this, 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 in the, your pure egg. Oh this, my this, god! This is this is what I've this is what I've got left right now. I need to go. Like oh. I said, my earlier, my parents are coming. I've got to do the big shop. You know, the big go, big shop. Go. Yeah, get, you get gotta go buy it. Go get a, a get a drip maker for crying out loud. Yeah. So, so, so tell me, so tell me what what's the setup? You know, for young professional here in either in New York City. Yeah, or, you know, yeah, guys. Trying to right. hammer it. Let's, what what what? Let's have, let's what have do the they Let's have this talk. What, what you need above all else is fresh coffee. All right. So the number one component is the thing you're drinking, right? So you want, you want whole bean freshly roasted. And what fresh is, is it was roasted, you know, really no more than four weeks ago. And good coffee, good quality coffee will have a roast date on the bag. If you're finding whole bean coffee on the shelf and there's no roast date, and if they're, you know, that's, suspect number one okay you know god only god only knows it does go stale so you know fresh coffee um and if it does have a roast date make sure it's within the last you know two to four weeks i you know the sooner the sooner the better right. um it's funny i was at whole foods just you know picking up some other stuff I, I don't get my coffee there but they had some big popular brands on the shelf and i, I started looking at a bunch of bags from counterculture and i was like oh wow something was roasted two weeks ago so i'm like this this is pretty good you can get really quality coffee from a great roaster you know right there at, at whole foods is great but you can check date so whole bean why whole bean because when you when you grind the beans yourself, you know, all, all that beany goodness is still stored in there. The gases, a lot of stuff gets released when you grind the beans, most notably gas. So the, the flavor profile is going to completely change. It's going to go stale. So we, we want fresh whole bean coffee. And then the second thing I would say is when you go to grind that coffee, um, you want something called a, a burr grinder, a conical burr grinder. This makes sure that the grind is even the same consistency. Otherwise, when you go brew the coffee, you're really just going to, it's going to get all weird. Um, okay. You're, you're, you're going to have an inconsistently, inconsistent tasting cup because the water is extracting coffee from different sized you know, coffee grains that you didn't grind evenly. So if you ever have one of those little, you know, push the button on the top and, you know, a little blade flies around, that that's not it. You know, use that for the herbs. Um, stick with, you know, a, a burr okay. grinder. Getting those two things right, you know, your coffee experience just went up like eight standard deviations. And then you just need a device. And, and you don't need you know, to be doing what I do, which is pouring hot water over, you know, beans in, in a device like a Chemex or, you know, right. these are called pour over methods. Um, you don't even need a French press, which you see the little, you know, little suction thing up and little plunger going yeah, up and down. Yeah, it's a very decadent way to make coffee. Right. All these styles, different grind settings and whatnot, you can literally get yourself a decent drip maker, Breville, um, OXO. You literally can Google best coffee makers for under 200 bucks or drip makers under 200 bucks, under hundred bucks. And you'll get the whole lay of the land from like Seattle coffee gear and all, all the bougie, you know, coffee websites. I'm going like to have to, uh, I'm going to have to look into it. I'm going to redeem myself a little bit. I am a tea drinker, you know, being yeah. a Brit. So, um, anybody who's, who's on, who's on the tea wave, I'm on, I like the Yorkshire tea. That, it's no stuff. different though. It's no different. Tea, tea can go down, tea and coffee are down the same vein in terms of, you know, geeking out about it from, the type of water you're using to the freshness of the leaves the type of leaves preparation of the tea bag how long you uh steep the tea for what temperature of water like these these are all the same considerations and variables that you play around with in coffee as well like if you think it's just pouring hot water over beans to get coffee sure go get some Folgers crystals if that's how you feel <laughs> 
it's very cheap. You, you do you. Right. If you want to you know, take pride and have a delicious cup of coffee where you actually taste notes and you can see I'm getting all crazy about right. this. You know, um, there are there are a few simple things you can do to just have a good coffee experience. You know, you make a pot of coffee, make a pot of delicious, great coffee. You got eight, you got eight cups right there. You can give eight people great coffee. You don't have to do it cup by cup. No, for sure. Uh, I, lo- I love your passion for it. Um, I, yeah, I'm a big tea drinker and e- yeah, even a double bag every now and again, you know, to get myself going in the morning. Um, so Yorkshire tea um, or PG tips for anybody out there. I go to the, uh, there's an Irish section, UK section at my uh, supermarket. I have to go and uh, ransack it every now and again. <laughs> I, it, I, it empty, I empty my wallet, you know, every few weeks on this like sure. imported tea. Tea can be tea. expensive. Yeah, tea yeah. can be inexpensive. There, there's David tea in, in the city. Um, okay. You check it out. And uh, man, it's just like a whole wall filled with all the all these different types of teas. I had a tea phase there in the city. Oh, did? For like ah. a solid year. Oh, yeah. Oh, it, uh, still ha- I still have my tea gear. Nice, nice. So we, we, we know, we'll use this to transition, you know, into the into the new NFT project a little bit. Right. Um, Doug is the creator of uh, Crypto Drip. Um, so can you tell us, you know, what, what, what actually is it? You know, why are you building uh, this community? Yeah, so longtime investor and, you know, play arounder in, in the crypto space, bought a Bitcoin miner eight years ago with a buddy uh, and my wife. Uh, with Heather and we mined Bitcoin and got our first exposure to decentralized finance um, all those years back um, before, you know, anyone before 2017, where everyone kind of figured out what Bitcoin was when it went up to $20,000 over Thanksgiving. Um, And then, you know, crypto winner, you know, shortly thereafter before this latest uh, go around where it's not just the price action of of digital currencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum, your two biggest uh, by market cap uh, in the space. Um, it also spawned a lot of other things to come out of crypto other than maximalists and cringeworthy type behavior uh, from members in the community. There's real technology on display and being, you know, an exhibition of new technology and the things that it can do. And a lot of it looks silly to a lot of people, like pixelated pictures of, you know, cats and toads and, you know, how is that worth, you know, $40,000, right? And yeah, there's some euphoria and exuberance there for sure. And I think that's a big, big distraction. That's no different than, you know, price go up a lot type distraction. Everyone getting rich on, on, you know, there's a lot to say about the market and the liquidity that's out there. If this is the kind of behavior that's going on, but it's also the distraction. It's a distraction that comes with new technology. When people are building everything, you know, you have supercomputers in your hands and everyone has the ability to build something, team up, collaborate. That part's really cool. I don't care what anyone has to say. Like, Making these projects, whether they're like profile picture projects, you know, five to 10,000 generative versions of the same thing. Um, yeah, it's a ton of work, you know, to, to do anything like that, even if they're, it's, someone made a comment like for all the, for all the work that goes into like rug pulling people through these projects, meaning conning people out of their money, they might as well have right. just done it legitimately <laughs> because it's so hard to do, it takes so much time and there, there's a joke in there somewhere. Anyways, you know, early adopter, we go all the way, you know, been following it, you know, booms and busts and, and all this volatility and then NFTs come along and it's the first like visual artistic representation of decentralized finance and, and of blockchain technology. So if you can get past, if you can get past the distraction of price action and flipping JPEGs and understand that there's real, real impactful tech here, meaning the ability to verify right? That something is authentic through smart contracts or the ability to execute something that, you know, can't be altered through smart contracts. This is mainly through Ethereum as well as other blockchains that operate off of that type of technology. Um, Then you can start to think, well, how this might impact you in your life or in the institutional level, if you're a corporation, operational efficiencies, um, if you're uh, a retail investor, um, you know, things like, um, real estate process, such as closing on your home and title insurance and who owns what, um, you know, there's a lot of real practical applications that are a lot more boring, you know, to talk about, um, but do catch, you know, but those conversations are happening in boardrooms. Hey, here's how we save $25 million in our company, because now we'll never lose sight of, a, a, an amendment to a contract because we put it on the blockchain. So if there's ever a problem, 
you know, we, we can save ourselves the hassle of attorneys or lawyer, you know, of, of lawyers debating over this, of insurance companies filing claims against us, that type of stuff. And if you're you or I, sure, you can go play around with, you know, pixelated pictures and stuff, but maybe you can actually get access or what, you know, is used, what's being called as utility. Like, what can I get for, for using this? Um, and, and that's the part that fascinates me the most. And I don't think you have to send people deep into what we call Web3 or into the terminology. So Web3, the next version of the interwebs, right? So uh-huh. Web2, what you understand it today, scaled up to social networks, right? Your, yep. your Facebooks, your Twitters. And now Web3, the ability to integrate your digital lives and your real life together into something a little bit more cohesive, but something that's decentralized, doesn't really have uh, uh, an authority structure around it, right? It's, it's all just you know, uh, part, part of the whole, so to speak. So that, that thing right there, you know, it definitely intrigues me to the point where I want, if I want to learn more about something, I probably want to get my hands dirty with it and and start to build something in that space. And so we did. And as you know, and then have, uh, pointed out coffee is the shtick, you know, um, it's not it's just a shtick. It's what I love and it's my hobby and it, it makes great. It, it somehow has tied itself into personal finance over these last three, four years with the whole latte factor. And you're never going <laughs> to retire if you keep buying coffee, it's just, just ripe for good, good jokes and things like and good parody. Um, but between that, my love for crypto and or really fascination and love for crypto, as well as my passion for personal finance, it, it seemed to me that, you know, if I'm going to be doing any kind of project, it would be around these areas around coffee, crypto and money. Um, so we came up with crypto drip. I wanted to basically see if, you know, we could give people co- number one, the mission was to make web three NFTs and crypto more accessible to people who are timid from, you know, who view this is either complicated or I think it's just you know, Silicon Valley bros broing out. I wanted this to be something that people could really understand. And, and coffee is just one of those things that almost everybody gets, tea as well, right? But coffee, you know, had a, has a billion unique drinkers a day. One eighth of the global population drinks coffee daily. And they drink 2.25 cups a day. So, you know, this, this is just one of those massively massive markets that if you're going to go build something, go build in a space that's massive. So, you, you know, you have a better shot of succeeding here. And also because people love it. People love it. And I know I can connect to people through coffee. It tells stories. It's a cultural access point for hundreds and hundreds of years. The coffee house has served as that. So, it, you know, the writing was on the wall. Boom. This is going to be great for helping people understand more about something they don't know. You would literally go to a coffee house to understand something you didn't know because you could find someone there who knew and we're taking this and bringing it over to you know nfts so ultimately we want people who own nfts particularly our own tokens right and our own artwork to have the ability to get coffee or a coffee experience or discounted coffee or free coffee ultimately have people earn what we hope will be you know drip which would be our token so a universal coffee reward system for doing the things you normally do drinking the coffee you normally drink you could get this reward and then take that reward to any number of cafes, roasters, online shops, and be able to use that to get yourself coffee. That's the dream. That's the goal is to just connect co- you know, coffee as a utility. And I think people be like, cool, if I do X, I get coffee, show me more. So how, uh, so how long have you been doing it now? I know you, you launched, was it late last year? How's it been going so far? I know you're actually in the, the auctioning stage of the, uh, the 20 um, council uh, crypto yeah. uh, NFTs. So can you talk a little bit about you know, how, how it's been going and what, you, what you're up to so far? Yeah, so building in this space is fun. You, you know, we're, we're of the belief that if you, if you take, you know, Building in the open and being transparent, everyone knows who I am. It's not, you know, there's nothing wrong with an anonymous development team for a project. A lot are, I get it. I'm not, everyone, I can put my reputation on it, which means also I get to build slow or I get to build at a pace in which, you know, I can afford to build. I mean, look, I run a business, I'm a dad, got all these things. My development team is one other partner and Heather, you know, as it grows, <laughs> we'll have more. So there's only right. really much time in the day, uh, but we are extraordinarily serious about this and therefore have, you know, operating at a pace in which we, you know, can, can deliver on whatever it is we're, you know, trying to put out there. So we, you know, after five months of an idea 
you know, being turned into something that we could put out into the world. We did that last week and we're auctioning 20 beautiful NFTs, beautiful pieces of coffee art that all have a utility of elevating your coffee experience. So every owner, you know, when this auction is done, every owner is going to receive an, an in real life coffee experience because people still love getting stuff. And we're going to hook you up with something that's truly going to make you um, say, man, I'm, I'm really in the coffee game now. And some of them have additional um, experiences as well. We featured some custom Air Force Ones just to give a taste of like, hey, you know, depending, we're not going to say which cups get what, but depending on what it was, you're going to get additional experience. And this is, this is a showcase. This is an exhibition that you can get stuff you know, that's actually real for owning NFTs. And like I said, the goal is to show how you get coffee. So here we're kind of demonstrating how it works. So for people who've never touched the space, this is a, a way for them to learn. People who are in the space, it's a way to back a project that they think has the potential to go somewhere. And we're putting it all out there. So that's what's going on right now. You know, after we get these 20 auction, we've already, by the way, we've already won. Like every cup, Every NFT has a bid on it, and we know the action is going to be in that last day, those last hours of the auction. So even, even if it didn't have a bid on the items, you know, I would tell you it's a success to work on something for five months, right, and finally put something out there that you're proud of. For anyone who's, you know, here's a lesson. For anyone who's building something, creating content, if you can put it out in the world and feel pride in doing it, regardless of how it works, you've won. You've won because you're going to be able to build on that experience or capitalize on that experience or both. You didn't lose a thing. So here we are winning by putting this thing out there. And now we're going to get into a really cool part of it, which is showing people how owning NFTs in your own NFT communities and the things you love. So this is for the existing NFT folks. We're going to show you how owning NFTs, whether it's ours or select members of uh, or, or owners of other collections, can get coffee at a discount. That's going to be super cool to see, right? So if you're a crypto holder or you own a cool cat and you can come over here, verify you own it, right? Because that's the, the web three right. part. Connect your wallet. Cool. You know, you belong to this community. You can buy your coffee or our coffee and we'll ship it directly to you and you get a discount for it. Wow. Awesome, mate. This sounds, uh, this sounds amazing. So Wednesday is it the end of the uh, the end of the auction? What time? Yeah, I, if you know, I don't know when this episode's so, airing. So but... what we'll do is, how about this? So it's Monday evening. Um, why don't well, I'll put it out Wednesday morning, like Wednesday, you know, ten nine Super ten, cool. and then we'll uh, we'll see if you know people can listen in just before the end of the auction. Is it is it three p.m. Is it on Wednesday? Yeah, three three Eastern on Wednesday. So that'd be dope. By yeah, we'll do that. Means. No need, yeah. no need to rush yourself, but that'd be super cool. So yeah, yeah I mean, it, it's been, it's been insane. I mean, I'm so, so proud that we got to this point and I'm even more excited than I was just a week ago about the next things we, I was always excited, but right. now I'm just like ready to go. And that, that to me is, is worth more than any, you know, result we're going to get. I mean, again, it's, it's all upside at this point. How excited are you about, you know, keeping, so you've got obviously things in your mind, you're keeping, you know, some of the uh, people who are bidding on these in the dark, per se, you know, you're ready to release this thing. How often are you checking, you know, the Discord and, <laughs> and stuff? Are you, are you on that all the time? And let me ask, how, how do people, you know, get involved in the community? They search Crypto Drip on uh, OpenSea and they go to Discord on, is it? Yeah, yeah. So the, be the best place to get, like, all the information through Twitter, go to Crypto Drip XYZ, um, Crypto Drip dot xyz on the website there's again it's, it's pretty much the same across right. all social media discord as well we we've you know it's a nice server i mean i i was actually not right. even wanting to do a discord i'm a little too old for it but sure enough i found out that you know my associates uh uh, friend or, or brother, you know, is particularly good at this. So you never know who in your network can, right. and I'm glad we did. We got 150 people, you know, in a discord server, all talking about coffee, personal finance and topics. And it's not, you know, bonkers in there. You can right. actually read and talk to people, but yeah, through, through Twitter is probably the best way to see all the updates and everything that's going on. I mean, you know, I got discord open here to see right, what's right, right. going on. I got the Gmail open to see if any bids are coming in, but you know, again, it's, uh, yeah, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna take uh, take a look at the uh, the T um, NFT uh, before before the end of the, the auction. N the so. NFT, yeah, NFT. NFT. 
NFT. Got it. Um, right. So I'm definitely going to take, take a look at that. And yeah, I'm really excited. You know, um, I think it's the utility you put behind it and how passionate you are about it. Um, there's not, you know, so much as a monetary factor around it as the, as the kind of the people are intimidated about, you know, it's why some of the people don't want to step into it because they're worried there's the saying goes, you know, the, the rug gets pulled and, and you lose the money uh, that you invested. So um, ha having someone like yourself being so transparent um, and, you know, how passionate you are about coffee and um, taking this to the next level is, is one of the things that's driving, it, I'm sure. So, um, uh, yeah, we'll wrap up a little bit here. So um, you call yourself, you know, a geriatric millennial. <laughs> I have to say I am uh, a geriatric Zoomer. If that's yeah. uh, that's what we're going to call it, because both of us, you know, are nearly nearly older end of our generation. So we'll have a bit of fun here, you know, to, to to end. So I've got several kind of stats and facts about you know our two generations that I'll read out, um, and I want to hear your answer. Maybe even yeah. if you've got a raw opinion. So for context, people listening, this is uh, data from Salesforce survey, Motley Fool, and Statistica.com. Um, so you ready? Let's do it. So uh, millennials and Gen Z. Who do you think owns more cryptocurrency? Uh, millennials. They have, uh, they have more money. Uh, so we've got ah. so out of the 1,000 people surveyed, 47% uh, Gen Z, 39% millennials. So um, Wait, I, is it just who has exposure or who has by dollar? Who, who has exposure? Oh, okay. Okay. Fair enough. I'll, uh, that's, that's, that one's on me there. If you ask me who has some form of exposure, I probably would have gone with Gen Z, but if you're asking talk, talk dollars invested, going with millennials. Bad, bad questioning there from, from Ben. So we'll, we'll, we'll try and clean it up this time. So who owns then in terms of the amount of people who answered the survey, who owns more index funds? Uh, millennials. Correct. 25% millennials, 22% Gen Z. Um, which generation uh, owns, out of the people surveyed, more meme stocks? Gen Z. Correct. It's quite a big one. 39% of Gen Z who surveyed said they own meme stocks. So, you know, we're talking AMC, GameStop. Yeah, because that's, their, kind of that's, their, fir that's their first, right. you know, stab at it. So that's, right. how they got, that's how they got in. But I was surprised. So still 28% of millennials, you know, have, have a bit of fun, you know, and uh, throw some money down. The, young, on. the younger one. Yeah, the younger ones. For sure, for sure. Um, so kind of on this wave here, who, uh, who do you think listens to more podcasts, Gen Z or millennials? Mm, that's a good one. I, I want to say Gen Z, and I think I'm going to be wrong. You are going to be wrong. I think so. Millennials, 48% yeah. um, listen to podcasts weekly and only 43% of Gen Z. But I think it's definitely something that's growing because you can whack one on, you know, at the gym. Yeah, when you walk the no, dog. it's more, it's more, you know, Gen Z, Zoomer is probably on, on more of the, you know, Right. YouTube channels and reels and TikTok TikToks. and the millennials will be listening to podcasts and reading Twitter and all that. No, I agree. I agree. So um, millennials and Gen Z, who do you think trusts the big brands more? Uh, millennials. Correct. So 50% of millennials say they trust the, the big brands and only 42% of Gen Z. Um, but both of those numbers have decreased a lot over the past few years. So not surprised to be honest to see that. And then uh, the one we'll finish with, because uh, I was surprised by this answer. So this is from statistica.com. What is the leading social network amongst Gen Z and millennials, you know, together, which is the, the biggest one that they use? Instagram. So you'd be surprised. So Snapchat was number one. Uh, Snapchat. I, see, I still don't know who's using Snapchat right now. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't believe it. So Snapchat's number one. TikTok, number two. Fair enough. Yeah. If I'd seen that as number one, I probably, probably would believe it. YouTube, number three. Instagram, number four. And Twitter, number five. So no place yeah. for uh, no place for Meta or Facebook. That makes sense. Boomers, that make, that there. makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> And I thought it'd be fun to end with, you know, comparing our generations, seeing you know, where, where we're it heading. Was very good. Um, so where, where can listeners, you know, go to find more about you and your work, you know, bona fide wealth management and crypto drip? Yeah, just just head on over to uh, Twitter. You know, that's where I live. So at Doug Bonaparte um, there, uh, Instagram too. We want to recap of the tweets and some pictures awesome. of, of me as a real person. These are the two <laughs> social media platforms I really exist on but one of the goals this year is doing more video content so uh we'll see where that goes it's really just a function of time and capacity so uh right 
yeah, we'll, we'll see, we'll see what comes of that. You know, how many more projects can I put, can I put on my plate here? Awesome, mate. Awesome. Well, look, th- thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. For more content, you can visit www.bensballsandbears.com or search Ben's Balls and Bears on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. And finally, if you found any value in today's conversation and think a family member or friend would enjoy listening, please share and drop us a quick rating. It goes a long way as we continue to grow Gen Z and friends.